Strange Brow Radio, episode 13. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Today's guest, retired military Dave Emmons, out of Polsbo, Washington. Dave, the classified secret intelligence, has also some incredible stories. So we're going to go there, UFOs, cryptids, and... uh, Talk a little bit about what's going on right there in his own house nowadays. That's Dave Emmons in a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsor, Feral by AaronEtsy.com. Shaman inspired drums, rattles, and smudge sticks. You can find those again at the Etsy shop. Also, be uh, setting up a table at the Primal People Convention this month in Enumclaw, Washington. Just type that into your little search in and look out for the Primal People Convention, Enumclaw, Washington, to see our sponsor, Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. Okay. Next, Dave Emmons and his unique story. We'll be right back. Dave Emmons has always known, I guess you would say, that something unique and special has occurred around him. And it goes back beyond his own military experience. I'll let Dave explain the details around that, but Dave and his wife Jody also lead a ET discussion group for contactees or abductees, however you want to slice that. I attended one of these meetings uh, back in the early part of 2019. So they take this very serious. It's a selective group of people that show up at their house. And it's uh, it goes without saying that the subject matter is very close to him and his wife's heart. So I'll let him fill in the details here. And we'll join in the discussion with Dave Emmons. Well, it kind of started, uh, I think, probably quite a long time ago, since uh, I'm almost 70 now. And uh, back in about 1957, I think I had, that's about when I recollect I had my first paranormal experience. So I was about seven or eight years old. And... uh, I was living in uh, Ohio at that time with my folks, obviously. And we had just moved into a new home that my father had built out in a, in a, in a, a wooded area outside of the town there. I grew up in a town of about 300 people in uh, northwest Ohio. And uh, while I was there in the, the bedroom, I can remember uh, we'd been living in there probably a month, month and a half or so. and. Uh, one night, I looked up, something woke me up, and I looked at the end of my bed, and there was a, a small being of some kind looking at me, kind of a triangular-headed shape. Uh, and uh, as I kind of jerked up and got a little scared, I think, uh, it just kind of suddenly disappeared. So uh, after telling my folks and all, they thought I was crazy and dreaming and stuff. But uh, stuff started happening around me a lot then. So. Uh, uh, throughout my life, I've had a lot of different types of paranormal experiences. Um, 
I guess uh, one of the, while I was still living in Ohio uh, back in 1961, uh, a bunch of my friends and I were camping in the woods uh, on their farm that was near uh, near the town we lived in. And uh, while we were camping that night, uh, we all had three rocks tossed at us. And uh, at first we just kind of assumed it was their older brother, you know, how kids will be. And, uh, but upon picking up those rocks, we all discovered that, man, they weighed more than we could throw. And they were roughly, oh, I think, I remember right, they were about eight inches in circumference and they weighed around 10 pounds plus. And uh, we also heard whooping noises that we thought were the brothers of the guys we were camping with. But we found out later that those guys weren't even around. They were at the different town over going to the movies that night, so it wasn't them. So we just kind of assumed from then on it was just some kind of bird. But now that I look back at it over these years, I don't think it was a bird. Um, and then my... Uh, family moved to Michigan, southeastern Michigan, uh, around 1965, 66, uh, a little bit before I graduated. So uh, one Saturday in 1966, right after Thanksgiving, I was uh, taking my date home from the drive-in movies. And uh, when we pulled into her driveway, we saw this uh, large creature standing there. Uh, she lived in a, a ranch-style house, which they call rambler homes out here now. And uh, so they had one of those little small vent windows that was about eight inches long, maybe about three or four inches wide. It was up about seven feet from the inside of the house, which made it about eight feet off the ground from the outside, I guess. And this creature that we both saw was bent over looking into it. So it was at least nine feet tall, maybe even taller. And it had reddish brown hair, but when I saw the headlights of our car, it turned around and looked right at us and it had glowing red light eyes. Uh, but as soon as it saw us and, and saw the car coming in, it ran off to a swamp area that was about 35 feet from the side of the house. But it only took about five steps to get that 35 feet. And uh, when we told people about it, Nobody believed this, except for my maternal grandma. Uh, she had told me that I saw a Sasquatch and that I'd probably experience them later on. And uh, let's see, probably then in 1974, I was in the military and I was stationed over in England. And uh, I was at RAF Elkenberry. And where we were living, it was kind of like a closet, a, a little metal rounded tin roof, but the rooms were all blocked and blocked off inside and made into separate rooms for uh, two people in each room. And uh, one night, my roommate came home, a little tipsy from the club. <laughs> and as we were laying there, just barely got to sleep, we both uh, saw a, an aberration come right through the wall. And it was wearing a top coat and a hat. And it sat on the end of his bed. That's what woke him up. And he looked up and he saw this same thing. Well, we didn't talk about it for a couple of weeks to each other. And then I don't know what we were talking about. They finally brought it up 
And he said, you mean you saw the same thing? And I said, yeah, I saw it come through the wall, get up, and it walked right back out through that wall. It didn't go through the door. So uh, we went and asked the first sergeant about it and found out that uh, somebody meeting that description uh, had hung themselves in that room. Well, the funny thing was, here back in 2016, I was working at a store in Port Gamble up here. It was called Mrs. Muir's House of Ghosts and Magic at the time. Uh, of course, Port Gamble's fairly haunted anyhow. But uh, this gentleman came walking in to the store, and he kind of looked around, and he walked back out, and came in about five minutes later again. I thought, I didn't know what was going on with this guy. And he walked right up to me, and he said, do you believe in ghosts? And I said, well, yeah, I do. And he said, well, i got to share a story with you. He says, about 40 years ago or so, he says, I was over in England, and he says, I was in this barracks room, and I saw this ghost come through a wall. And I says, were you at RAF Alkenberry? And he says, yeah, why? And I said, well, you were in the continent right behind the clothing sales there. And he says, yeah, how did you know that? And I said, well, because in 1974, I saw the same thing. Well, he'd seen it in 1970. So he had me call his wife because she had never believed him after he told her that. They lived over in the Edmonds area, Everett Edmonds, somewhere over there. So we talked to her, and I finally convinced her that what he had seen was what everybody else had seen, too. So there's been a lot of stuff throughout my life. Uh, yeah, no, you've, 19... touched, you've touched on uh, quite a bit before the age of 18, and uh, now you're fast-forwarding yeah. to people that yeah. uh, are basically finding you out. Just getting to the experience that you just described, Dave, as far as this guy walking up to you and, and just uh -huh. mentioning a place in England, how in the world would uh, that be coincidence? Yeah. Uh, we couldn't figure it out either. Uh, the, uh, it, it just kind of made the hair on my arms kind of stand up because uh, it was it was really kind of that really validated it for me. But uh, and of course for him, and the, the odd thing was uh, Port Gamble was is such a haunted town anyhow, and and we do a lot of investigations up there. And, uh, uh, the Walker Ames home in Port Gamble is probably one of the most haunted here in Washington. In fact, I think it is even touted, touted as one of the most haunted in Washington. I know uh, Pete Arbea works for the town up there, and uh, he leads the paranormal uh, ghost conference every year up there, the annual ghost conference, and they do a great job up there at that paranormal ghost conference. But, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, especially since my roommate saw it, I saw it, the first sergeant knew about it, and then this guy here, 40 some years later, comes and tells me that he saw the same thing. Uh, that's where it really, really piqued my, my interest, and when I came back here to the States, I started going on these different, learning how to do investigations and try to find some other stuff. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get stationed at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California uh, in 1975, and it was right close to the La Parisima Mission, which was one of the older Spanish missions in California. And uh, 
it's very haunted. I've done probably seven or eight investigations there. Uh, experienced a lot of paranormal activity, uh, everywhere from Native Americans to the actual monks that were stationed there. So it was really strange. But uh, also while at Vandenberg, that's where I got to experience some of my, uh, I think, my first actual UFOs. I worked in a... Uh, for the Air Force there for, for five years from 1975 to 1980. I was with the National Air Force in the uh, photo squadron there, the audiovisual squadron. And uh, we processed uh, the film that came off the radar trackers and the, and the, the, the film trackers that uh, for the missile launches at Vandenberg. And uh, three times, in that five years while we were there, I know of, that I know of, uh, our guard showed up after we uh, processed the film and picked it up and took it away. I have no idea where they took it, but they were armed guards, and that was very unusual uh, since the other films that we processed were left alone and for different launches. It was just on three separate occasions uh, that they picked up the film and took it off. I'm assuming now that I've witnessed a lot of the launches there between uh, 1975 and 2005 when I retired that uh, it probably was showing some activity <laughs> such as UFO activity because uh, there was numerous times you could go out in the parking lots and watch the launches and you'd see several uh, several silver metallic objects tracking around the missile as it was going up or even before. Uh, and lots of people. So, I mean, we're talking hundreds of people, hundreds of support staff. Uh, but it was so commonplace when you went out to see these around missile launches that nobody really talked about them much anymore. Uh, That's got to be so hard for the average listener to understand or even believe, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, you're here on a, on a base watching a missile take off. You see what looks like, you, uh, I guess we'd call it an aerial threat. That seems to be the new jargon for describing UFOs. So you see these aerial threats at no point did anybody, you know, have concern over seeing something watching a missile launch. I'm sure that there were people, but uh, not at the level I was at. Uh, I got a feeling that's probably why these films were, that I know of, were taken away by armed guard. Uh, it happened quite a lot. Uh, the radar trackers would track things that weren't reported to the public. I know that for a fact. Uh, there was a big book that was written about different encounters that was in the technical library there at Vanderbilt that you could get access to. And uh, it was a pretty thick book. So uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's strange. Uh, nobody really talks about it. Uh, I was never really threatened to not talk about it. It's just that uh, I guess it was so commonplace that Nobody talks about it, I guess. Uh, I did have a, a another weird paranormal experience on Vandenberg. I lived in base housing out there with my first wife 
1978, I was still in the military, so I, I was given base housing. And uh, you know those sliding closet doors that kind of slide together? Yeah, the, yeah. the extremely well-built ones in military housing. Yeah. Yes, I know those ones yeah. very well. Yeah. Yeah, well, we had a we had a closet door in our master bedroom that just lighting open all the time at night, and it would only do it at night, and uh, and it took quite a effort to uh, get those. They were kind of warped. It took an effort to open them. Um, like I said, my first wife and I uh, witnessed that a lot. You could actually hear them slide if you were the one trying to do it, and that's what woke us up. And you could watch it slide open. And it stay open. We get up and close it, close the door, go back to bed, and it would slide open again. It was very, very, very strange. It, we didn't see any apparitions or anything, but it was unexplainable why that could open because you really had a yank on it to pull it open. Let's go back, Dave, to seven or eight years old and you describing this triangle headed okay. visitor. Um, okay. that's, that's your earliest memory, it seems, of a paranormal yeah. life. Yeah. And since then, you've had a potpourri of what I would call cryptid experiences, UFO, ghost experience. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I sure have. So let's start there. At seven or eight years old, you, you have a memory of a triangle-headed being. At any point, did you call out for your folks? And if so, yes. what what was their what was their response? And do you have any inkling to think that they knew what was going on and maybe were experiences them experiencers themselves? No, I would say my dad was a real skeptic. Uh, my mom and dad, I remember them coming and running in the room, but the the, the being or whatever it was, like I say, it just like vanished. Before that, and I couldn't explain how it vanished. It just just kind of dematerialized, kind of like you see on a, a what is it, Star Trek? You know? Sure, the, sure. When, when they uh, uh, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> right. That's the kind of the, the little glittering type thing. That's what it did, and I couldn't explain it at the time. And I hadn't seen Star Wars, and obviously. It, or Star Trek, it hadn't been on yet. But that's what it did. It kind of just dematerialized like that and disappeared. And when I told my folks about it, they told me I was crazy. That's the only time I did see it in the house there. Uh, mm. However, we did have like strange lights every once in a while out through the woods back behind the house. They kind of went around, but it could have been headlights from cars from our neighbor pulling into their driveways and stuff. So we didn't think much about it, but it, right. it happened quite a bit. And did you see those lights uh, in that area until you were much older than eight or did you leave your family home early on? Well, we, we left there probably in 60, 1960. We only lived there for about three years and we moved back in with my grandparents mm -hmm. in the town. Right. Uh, so, but for the three years we were there, we definitely saw the lights. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't a regular nightly thing. It was like once every six, seven, eight months, mm -hmm. you'd see these lights and kind of flashing around. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There was nothing back there in that wooded area, uh, cornfields and stuff on both sides of the wooded area. But uh, there was nothing back there that would make people go back there. Unless, you know, the one option that I'm thinking of now that it could have been was uh, there was a lot of uh, raccoon hunters back then in that area. And sometimes they carried lanterns, sometimes they had big lights. Right. So if there was hunters back there at night, because that was legal back there to go raccoon hunting at night, if that's what it was, then that would explain why the lights were flashing around up in the trees and stuff. Sure, but, sure. Right. It, it was seven eight, yeah, it's seven or eight years old. How fresh is all this in your memory? Uh pretty fresh. Pretty fresh. <laughs> uh yeah, I uh I I can't say I'm a real skeptic because I'm I consider myself a researcher, not a uh I try to look at everything and try to say what Try to explain it away. Uh, try to make it to where it's not what I think is the obvious answer of the paranormal part of it. So I guess you could say I, uh, from the paranormal investigations that I've done, I've always tried to look for every possible thing that it could be. And some things I just can't explain away. And well, those that I see with my own eyes, I know I can't explain them away because they're there. I'm definitely sure of it. And how deeply have you gone to try to retrieve all those memories from seven or eight years old, or is it even something you want to do? Uh, I haven't gone into hypnosis. I thought about it uh, to, uh, to, to see if I could find out any more about it. I have not done that. I'm not sure if I want to. I'm pretty much content with uh, what I'm doing now in my life. And uh, the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at the triangle head alone, is that in your mind the same thing that you would describe as kind of like an oblong egg shaped as well? I mean, are we talking a small little gray, or in your memory, what what do you how do you describe this alien in more detail, or can you? Okay, uh, it had a thin neck coming up. Uh, like I say, it was like peeking over the top end of my bed mm-hmm. and uh, fairly large eyes, but I didn't, I didn't see a mouth on it or, or a nose. I think it was more because I was scared more than anything. But when I glared at it, it just glared back at me. And I didn't, I didn't really get a good feeling from it until about right before it disappeared. And right before my folks ran into the room or opened the door and came into the room, uh, then I didn't, I felt like it wasn't going to hurt me. It uh, felt like it was just there watching me. But uh, when my folks opened the door, like I say, it just went boom, dematerialized. Do you remember any, I did sen- not- any sense of it, Dave, trying to communicate with you on any level? No, I don't. Like I say, it was just looking at me, staring at me, and my first reaction was fear, but that was very brief, and after that, it just kind of felt like it was just there. Mm -hmm. So the little guy or a little gal or whatever we're going to call this little 
Yeah, I have no idea if it was little, male or female. Little thing. You uh, you never touched it. You never had a chance to, it sounds like. No. Yeah. No. And, and it never came back, but you experienced the lights. The, 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 lights that you're no. descri- the lights that you're describing, what kind of lights were they? Were they bright, uh, and, you know, diffused? Were they high up? Uh, describe they were them. pretty bright. That's one of the reasons that kind of worries me about the raccoon hunting because we didn't carry that bright of lights when I was a raccoon hunter. We kind of took a lantern and a flashlight. And that was mm-hmm. about it. Uh, these were pretty bright, like a, like a modern day spotlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a, not a, a, a aircraft light, but a, 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 like a car spotlight. That's why I said it might've been headlights, but why would it be up in the trees and, and going around? So, Mm-hmm. And now, would you bring dogs if you're raccoon hunting? Is is that something oh, yeah. else? That, yeah. So oh, yeah. You, you would have yeah. maybe you probably would have heard dogs if that were the case, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we had a couple there. I had a couple uh, uh, raccoon dogs mm-hmm. at the house that we were at. Right. And uh, they stayed in the garage, but uh, we had a doggy door between the garage and our mm-hmm. main part of the house, and they would they would sleep in the garage at night. And then fast forward here between the ages of eight and nine to 18, it sounds like you had two, mm-hmm. at least two Sasquatch experiences from what you described. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, one of them was an actual, I actually saw it for the first time. Uh, actually, that's the only time I've ever seen one. So uh, there was no doubt of it. Uh, like I said, my grandmother believed me. and. Uh, she told me what it was. Uh, my grandmother was a, a Native American mm-hmm. on the maternal side. My maternal grandmother was Native American. And uh, she uh, she was probably my favorite grandmother of the two. I spent a lot of time with her whenever I could, uh, listening to stories and things with her. But uh, Do you remember she told the... me that... It... Go ahead. Sorry, Dave. Oh, yeah, she's the one who told me that I would experience it again later, and boy, have I. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so you're the mind that once you're visited, you're kind of marked? I think so. Mm -hmm. That's what I truly believe. From what I've read and what I hear from other people, friends of mine that have experienced the same thing, I think that is a a true statement. Mm -hmm. And so your grandmother is Native American, it probably has an oral tradition of at least the knowledge of Sasquatch, Bigfoot. And did she, do you remember at all if she had a unique name for the phenomena? Did she describe it in any other terms, maybe based on her tribal oral tradition or what? No, she, no, she didn't. She okay. just, uh, she just told me for sure that I would experience it more. Mm-hmm. She was kind of a, a, a healer. She, uh, she was a remarkable woman. I, I really mm-hmm. miss her. She lived a, into her hundreds and uh she was she was quite a lady did she ever do any healing on you oh yeah and she did yep uh when i was about i guess 12 i uh, sprained my ankle ankle in a basketball game enough to where i couldn't walk at all i couldn't even get off the the court floor my dad had to come down onto the court and and pick me up and carry me off Mm -hmm. and uh it was on a Saturday, and uh, 
we didn't go to the hospital. Uh, we went straight to my grandmother's house, and she took, they took me down into the basement and laid me on a, a – she had a table with a mat on it there. And she came down, and everybody else left from downstairs. And she lit some incense, and she did her thing, and she took some rocks and stuff. And I was down there with her probably an hour, and she was saying all kinds of weird things that I can't even remember what they were. But I got up and walked out of there. Wow. So you're describing that she had like a little treatment area down in the basement. Is that? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she worked yeah. with uh, people around the neighborhood. People knew that she was a medicine woman. Yeah, they knew that she was a healer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what tribe, do you know what tribe she was with? She was a uh, Potawatomi. Potawatomi. And what area is that again? That was in Northwest Ohio. Ohio. About okay. Maybe, maybe uh, 20, 25 miles from the Michigan border. Okay. Well, that area is just so rich with yeah. sightings. I mean, that's where one of the bigger conferences is, of course, is out in Salt Fork. Are we yeah. are we talking near Salt Fork at all? No, it was near Toledo. Okay. Uh, uh, if you went straight up from there, you'd, you'd run into about Jackson, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was near Toledo, about 40 miles from Toledo, 35, 40 miles from Toledo. So now let's go to 1974. You're in the military, and you're, are you overseas when this apparition, this hat man, yes. Uh, appeared? Yes, I was in England at RAF yeah. Alkenberry. RAF, that's right, Royal Air Force Base. Okay, and right. I'm, I'm of course an old Navy guy from Whidbey Island, so we both <laughs> used to, to being on air stations. Um, so you but, described yeah, dad, something really similar. My dad, my dad, maybe. What's that, Dave? My dad was maybe he was a chief. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I was I was an enlisted man, and uh, I actually got out in two thousand and one as the World Trade Center uh, was crumbling down. So that was my discharge oh, wow. date. Um, so it was quite a remarkable day. I'll, well, I guess we'll oh. never. None of us will ever forget that. None day. of us. Uh, certainly leave. Yeah, yeah. Having your discharge orders, uh, you know, when there's a <laughs> national emergency is something else but you know when you describe this apparition i couldn't help but thinking of the standard what they call hat man which is a you know a global phenomena had you ever heard that mm -hmm. term before nope okay never heard of that one so uh, there's there's books there's movies there's whole uh you know subcultures related to what is called the hat man and then it sounds like mm -hmm. you had a, a, someone senior above you say, well, there is somebody that died in this room and kind of explain it as that. But um, the hat man does a, a lot of what you said. It uh, has a very tall, ominous, blacker than black uh, appearance to it. It kind of hovers over the bed like a classical shadow yeah. person report. And then it has, you know, this very uh, distinguished. Go ahead. Yeah, this wasn't real black. It was a. Uh, you could actually define it. It looked like a smoky gray, grayish brown coat that it was wearing, and the hat was more of a uh, a little bit darker than that. And the head area was more of a a, a cloudy type, grayish white. You could actually see features on it. 
You could see a nose and, and eyes and a mouth. It looked like a human. The only thing it didn't have is it didn't have feet. There was no feet showing. How long did you get a look at it? Uh, probably three or four minutes. What? Oh, my gosh. I just dropped my pen. That's so rare to have a sighting that long. Yep. That's what, that's what made it uh, seem very bizarre at the time. Uh, I think only because of my upbringing and my previous other experiences and, and everything, I think that's probably why it didn't really shock me that much. I've, I've been doing a lot of reading about uh, that type of paranormal with ghosts and all. Mm-hmm. And being in England, of course, that was... I'd been there over a year already when this happened, and uh, I'd been to many pubs that had uh, claimed that they were haunted and actually experienced some paranormal activity in a lot of the pubs over there, and nothing to this degree that this was. Right. Well, now, well so what do you think you saw? I think I saw a man that hung himself in that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a, a spirit that... Uh, for one reason or another, it may be imp- uh, imprinted, or it may be that he just didn't want to leave there yet, mm-hmm. and he kept coming back to that same room. I don't think it was a, 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 a an imprinted energy, because uh, I do believe that all uh, ghostly activity like that is energy, and uh, I do believe they exist. Were you able to, you said you're able to see distinguishing shapes on it. You could even see color, mm-hmm. you could see the out, you know, the outline of not only the figure, but you could see clothing on it. So right. what, what did the face look like? And was it, was it trying to communicate at all? It wasn't trying to communicate. Like I say, it just, it sat on the end of the bed. So the back, its back was turned toward me, uh, my roommate actually got to see more of the front of him than I did. I see. I, see. Uh, I only saw the front of him when he came into the room. I actually saw him come in through the block wall, mm-hmm. turn around and sit on the bed. Uh, at first, I thought he came through the door because it was real close to the door where he came through. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how he did that since the door was locked. But uh, uh, feature-wise, it, like I said, you could see his nose and you could see a mouth and his eyes were, I won't call them beady looking, but they were, yeah, maybe they were beady looking, I guess. <laughs> Pretty close to that. I guess that's the only way to describe it. Were they, were they eyes of any color or uh, how would you describe that? I would say that they, they, they were kind of blackish. Mm-hmm. And your roommate but, was, but they was, were small. They were real small. They were small. Okay, so almost like yeah. a little rat or something. Okay, right. Um, and your roommate was chosen over you. You, he didn't sit oh, yeah. on your bed. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And so now let's fast forward here to you working in Port Gamble. You're an employee at the Miss Mirrors. House of Ghost and Magic, and a stranger walks in and starts retelling 
of this memory here. Now, is this the same guy that had the ghost sit on his bed, or is this this was five years no. earlier, right? No, this this is a guy that I had never met before. Uh huh. But but obviously he uh, he was there in England four years before me. Gotcha. Uh, uh, it was quite uh, quite interesting. There was a lot of things that happened at that that store. Uh, it was called the Jackson House. It was built uh, by uh, Daniel Jackson, who was a uh, ship's captain. He owned a uh, a fleet from out of Seattle, so he would be the guy that kind of towed the the wood from the lumber yard and all that for him. He would also bring in the mail mm-hmm. by boat to them because there was no roads back there to Port Neville at that time. And, uh, but that, that home that he built was quite haunted too. There's been aberration sightings there. Uh, we could see, we could feel it when we first moved into that store uh, and we were just setting it up. It was, the upstairs was uh, unupdated. It was there was not nothing on the walls. Some of the electrical wires were still showing through the walls and all. Mm-hmm. So it hadn't been uh, brought up to code. Let me put it that way on the upstairs. So we couldn't use the upstairs for anything except a little bit of storage. Right. And the only thing that was up there was one of those old navy desks. Now you'll be familiar with that. You know how heavy those are. Sure. I don't, I don't know how they got it up the small, tiny stairs, but they did. And there was a couple of Navy file cabinets, so it looked like it was surplus type stuff. Well, this old Navy desk was up there in one of the rooms. And uh, we were downstairs. We knew nobody was upstairs. And you could, we heard that desk slide. And so I ran upstairs to see who was up there. And nobody was up there, but the desk had moved about three feet. All by itself, no earthquake, no nada. And uh, so I came back downstairs. My wife is a medium. Uh, she didn't get anything at that time of any any uh, energy type beings or anything up in that room. But uh, a gentleman that you got coming on to your show here in August. Uh, Mr. William Becker is very familiar with that place. He's a, he's a became a good friend of mine. He's had a lot of experiences in that house. Okay, great. So you have a, a friendship with William Becker. And if anybody has any questions about what Dave is referring to, uh, William will be speaking and actually teaching a class in Cottage Grove, Oregon, on the second Friday of August is the uh, two-hour class. It starts sometime around six or seven in the evening. You can go to strangebrow.com to find out more regarding that. So Dave, you've had an extraordinary life and it's obvious that yeah. you, you have kind of, like I say, been marked by the supernatural, the spirit world, the paranormal, and then you meet Jody. So that's a pretty remarkable moment when you two meet, especially if she's a psychic and she's had her own ET communication. So describe how you two met. We met at work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we both worked for a defense contractor and uh, this was after I got out of the service and got divorced. And uh, I met her at my, uh, my new job. 
defense contracting uh, in Santa Maria, California, near the Denver Air Force Base. And uh, we knew each other about three years, and then we decided to get married. And so we did. <laughs> uh, it was uh, kind of interesting. She uh, She's ran a, an ET group like she does up here. She ran one in Santa Maria at the time. I couldn't participate uh, at the time. I had a security clearance that I wanted to maintain so I could continue working. But uh, she ran a fairly large group of about 100 people or more. I did go to a couple of her meetings. Uh, one of them in particular was of interest because there was two gentlemen in the back sitting there with, with the uh, textbook Men in Black. They were sitting with hats, sunglasses, and dark suits, and unexpressionable faces. And you could see them plain as day. And everybody was looking at them, turning around, and seeing, trying to see what they were doing. But they just sat there. And uh, right after the meeting, they were they vanished. They were gone. So I was hoping to go to the back of the room and, and try to approach them at that time. But uh, they were out of there right after that meeting. Uh, it was interesting, though. I did we did find out that about a week later, our home phone was tapped. How does how does one find out that their home phone's tapped? Uh, I have friends in high places. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we had equipment. We heard a clicking all the time when you pick up the phone. You'd hear a click. Right. And so. I kind of suspected that that's what it was. Uh, I worked in intelligence in the, in the military. And uh, uh, I had a friend come over with some uh, electronic gear, and we found out that the phones were tapped. And once we found out that the phones were tapped, and we started acknowledging it when we were talking to our friends on the phone, since you're probably being recorded, about three weeks later, it all stopped. So, okay, so the, do you think they were interested in the fact that you had a, a security clearance and you're also experiencing stuff that generally those two uh, don't mesh real well? Were you, you have any inkling on think, who was tapping your phone? Yeah, I, think they, I think they were more interested in my wife, Jody, because she ran that uh, UFO group. And uh, right after that, she, or right after uh, we found out about the tapping and all, she turned the group over to someone else and she quit participating. Uh, so I think that's when it went away. So that kind of scared her off from... Uh, I think so. What was... Yeah. Uh, so is this the first time that she's come back in a while to start a discussion group? Yep. And we both agreed at this time and at our age, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Well, was that a hard decision to come to, or were you both just ready to do it? No, I think we were both ready to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's talk about the ET discretion group then. Okay. As far as what I experienced there, I think we were there for over a couple hours. I can tell yeah. you that um, generally when I'm involved with something long format and it has to do with the supernatural and it's like minds all in the same 
room. And you'll find this too with something like, you know, in uh, Judeo-Christian belief, uh, there's a, a belief that where two or three or more gather in the name of the Father, you know, there he'll be or there the angels will be. And I find that to work also for all of these type of discussions as well. It is almost like a moment of meditation or prayer when you start digging into the nature of the soul or what is, you know, the great mystery. Why are we here? Those kind of things are reminiscent of, of prayer, at least in my mind. And um, after we had left your ET discussion group, um, there was some supernatural stuff that happened back at Aaron's place. And I just wondered if anybody else experienced anything after the ET discussion group. Did anybody ever say, you know, after the group, such and such happened? Yeah, yeah there, there was a couple of people that have experienced uh, some, some awakenings. Uh, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the members is, is, was uh, experiencing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. of uh, um, ET type stuff yeah, mm -hmm. and paranormal type stuff mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to go into it because I haven't asked her for permission mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, mm -hmm. she definitely is, is, is awakening I'll put it that way well and let's just describe here for the audience what we're talking about we're talking about people that have normal everyday jobs who need a place to go with other people who are in the same predicament or at least the same blessing as them, however you want to describe this. <laughs> and it's very difficult. It's kind of the same thing that I do when I do a live event, but this is a private event. It's invite only. You can't just show up. And, you know, for obvious reasons, you kind of have to know and vet the people that are coming and make sure that their motivations are good and everybody feels safe is that a fair way to put it that's that's perfect yeah. okay so what about around your own property you guys have stuff happen right at your house oh yeah oh yeah we uh we uh we've had uh like-minded individuals over a lot and uh there's a lot happening on this on this property back here this little two acres that we got back in here uh i've had uh this is where I had my uh, my one and only Washington Bigfoot experience. Uh, it was back in just a couple of years ago during the summer. I was laying in bed with the, the window open here along this, and I got a, a little driveway along the side of the house here with the, where the window is. And uh, well, you've seen my driveway. It's about 200 feet long. <laughs> and uh, I heard what sounded like loud footsteps coming up this driveway, like somebody was running. And it kept getting louder and louder and louder. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. And it ran, went right past the window. And when it got back, we got a little medicine wheel back out here that I rebuilt. And uh, when it got to there, there was this big flash of light that kind of lit up the whole inside of the house but it was just instantaneous it was like a split second you know and uh don't know what that was uh, right i don't know 
you read things that says that describes what a, a portal is. I don't know if that's true or not. We've had uh, a couple other spiritual type people come out on the property here that have told us, yes, we do have a portal on our land here somewhere. Mm-hmm. And who knows? But um, uh, I'm pretty sure that we do have visitations from a Sasquatch on occasion. Like I say, uh, my wife is a medium, and here about last year, just a few months ago, back in 2018, she was sitting in a chair, and we were watching TV and all, and she, uh, all of a sudden, she gets this buzzy feeling. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, watched Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium, on television. Oh, she sure. She gets this she starts biting her lip and all that. Well, my wife kind of does the same thing. She gets this fuzzy feeling through her hair when she gets these things. And something was trying to talk to her telepathically. So she asked who it was and found out it was a Sasquatch. And she said, well, where are you? And we have a memorial tree that we planted for her father's death by our garage area over here. And the being told her that he was out by the tree because he likes it out there. And uh, the next morning I went out there and uh, right around the tree, I found three white rocks that were placed right side by side, pointing right at the tree. Those weren't there before. And so how are, how are the rocks laid? They were laid equal distance apart. Well, they were right side by side. Mm-hmm. I can actually show, I can send you a picture of them actually. Uh, mm-hmm. they, uh, in fact, I think I showed it to you. Right. But, uh, you, you said there's yeah. three, three, what, three of them? Yeah, there were three of them, and mm-hmm. they were touching each other, but they were made in a, like an line. Mm-hmm. And the, the, those weren't there the day before, because I was out there in that tree the day before. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the morning after she was talking to whatever this was out by the tree, there they were. So what did you do with the rocks? I left them there. Mm-hmm. Since then, uh, we've, we've tried to set up some communication. I have a communication log that I've been attempting to communicate with whatever out in, the, in our wetland area over here by using uh, branches and some colored glass rocks. And I set those up, but I haven't had any activity there other than a squirrel. What about inside the house, Dave? Anything occurring inside? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Not that I can remember. I have had uh, experiences on the outside of the house mm-hmm. uh, nearest to wetlands to where I've been walking and I hear my name called by both a male and a female voice. And really? they, they just shout out Dave. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's nobody around. And I look and there's nobody anywhere. Not even my neighbors who are, are quite a ways distance away. What's your, fact, feeling, what's your feeling on documenting any of this, Dave? Do you document any of this stuff? Are you yes, interested in that? I, I write it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write it down like I would with any other. I treat it like a, uh, an investigation, like a paranormal investigation. Mm-hmm. We keep journals. Right. Keep journals of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, for a while, we were having uh, 
acorn uh, or not acorn pine uh, pine cone needles or pine cones thrown at the house uh, just to get our attention. It was nothing uh, malevolent or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, and it was only on my wife's side of the house. She sleeps in a separate bedroom because I snore pretty good. Is this all times of day that this is happening? Uh, usually in the evening. During the day is when I get the the, the, the voices mm-hmm. calling my name. Mm-hmm. Or you'll hear some branches crack or some trees break. Mm-hmm. We get that a lot. We had a, a one of the discussions groups. We had a different type of discussion group here one night. And uh, it was in the summertime. We had the windows open and this other lady that was here she kept feeling feeling like somebody was watching her through the kitchen window and we heard this branch break with about a four inch around branch and it's just snapped about six feet up and just snapped over uh, i didn't see that until the next day but Wow, and she's the one. She's the one that heard it, but she said she could feel like something was watching the back of her head. She was sitting at the kitchen table with the window open. So, what do you think the relationship is between the paranormal and Sasquatch and UFOs and ghosts? Do you think there's any relationship to any of this? I think that the the, the ghosty world is a little bit separate. That's my opinion. Uh, I believe Sasquatch is forest people. I believe they exist. Uh, I like Ron Moorhead's description with the quantum physics part of it. Uh, I'm kind of a believer in that, that area of it. Uh, I I think they were here before us. I think they were, I don't think that they're here to hurt us. Unless right. we try to hurt them first, mm-hmm. uh, I positive that I can never shoot one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that nobody else does either. I'd rather I think that someday, maybe not in my lifetime, but sometime shortly thereafter, I think that all of this is going to become known. Uh, I think that eventually it will be proven that they do exist uh, in the scientific world, which seems to be that that's the only way that anybody uh, accepts it, which right. I'm not really that much of a follower of. I believe that uh, what I've seen and what I've experienced, there's no doubt in my mind of what they are. As far as the phenomena, let's just call all of what we just discussed for the last hour, the phenomena, why the secret? Why why so late into the game here when, let's just face it, religion is waning and science and pluralism uh, is taking over. Every kind of, everybody believes in pretty much technology. That's the agreed upon, mm-hmm. that's kind of the agreed upon God right now is artificial intelligence, which for better or for worse is a fact. So why why isn't the government, uh, you know, disclosing this even more so than they did in 2017? My feeling is that it's all based on fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I feel that they, uh, I, I feel that the, there's many things that they could be doing that they're not doing because they're making money at it. They want to protect themselves. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I think it's just all fear-based, Toby. Right. So as far as your experiences are concerned, you don't have you don't have the feeling of any repercussions from your pension or for uh, Jody's no. sake with the men in black to discuss no. this. There's no, not been any no. retribution uh, thus far for having these ET discussion groups. No. Uh-huh. No. Well, let's hope it stays. I think they, I think they figure, figure we're old and, <laughs> and probably a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> But if we are, there's a lot of us. Yeah. And I, yeah. Think, I think there's more getting every day. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, I appreciate your time. And um, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with other people. Because in the end, really all we have is one another. Nobody's really coming in here to educate us. All we have really is one another to share these experiences with. And I think... I I think there's so many missing puzzle pieces that we could help hand one another. And I just, uh, I see the community, unfortunately, so dysfunctional that handing over information is almost just a, a luxury item if you can ever get it. And yeah. I'm so glad that you guys are doing that for others. You did it for me and Aaron and the other people that you invited in your home. So uh, I really appreciate it. And if anybody's listening and wants to get involved or help out or even be a, a presenter or speaker at one of your groups, um, even virtually, is there any way that others around the world could kind of uh, communicate with you and Jody regarding your discussion group or anything else you're involved with? Well, uh, since the ET group is, is kind of a private group on Facebook, it's mm-hmm. uh, be kind of hard to contact us that way mm-hmm. but uh uh yeah we really we really don't have we haven't really talked about that mm-hmm. way it's, okay it's been kind of a workout for the local area mm-hmm. uh, i don't know how big she wants to take it well let me ask uh, you this what if someone wanted to start their own group what would you suggest to them and how would they start um kind of like we did Mm-hmm. Uh, with like-minded folks, uh, friends of friends, mm-hmm. and, and 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 get it going from there. We uh, we have a really good friend that runs the Awakening Heart, which is a very spiritual uh, uh, group. Mahela, uh, she's she's almost like I call her a shaman. <laughs> she. Uh, She's quite a lady, and uh, she uh, she runs a lot of the activities here at our house uh, mm-hmm. for herself because it gives her a place to run things, and I had plenty of parking. But uh, yeah, I would say yeah, just go ahead and, and and get with your like-minded friends and start it that way, and then go by word of mouth, and it'll build. It'll build quickly. Right, I think but, they call it your sphere of influence. So if you 
if you have an inkling to do this yourself, folks, um, reach out to me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com and I can maybe point out a few things along the way and facilitate uh, at least a start to, to have your own group discussion, be it an ET discussion group or a, an afterlife discussion group, whatever seems out of the box, you know, fringy, uh, you can kind of find me interested in it. So I definitely will respond to your email. But um, Dave, I appreciate your time coming on here. We'll be in touch. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Can't hardly wait to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll be touching bases soon here. And um, I tell you what, I will uh, try to make one of your next meetings here and uh, post all Yeah, about we're going to try to get down to we're going to try to get down to the axe and chisel too and get, get to one of yours. Oh, good. Uh, and maybe, maybe you could come to the, um, the East SETI, uh, retreat. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were thinking about that going out there and maybe camping out there. Yeah. And for the night or whatever, but uh, yeah, we really like Cottage Grove. So. Well, great. Cottage <laughs> Grove likes you back. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my wife's favorite areas. So, uh, we stopped down there all the time when we head to California to see our relatives down there. Okay, great. Well, I've got friends up there. You've got friends down here. We'll meet in the middle. And if we have to do it yeah. at, a re- at a rest stop with a, a big gulp, then we'll do it that way. But um, you've heard Dave Emmons. Dave Emmons is part of the ET discussion group, a lifelong experiencer. His wife, Jody Emmons. How do you say Jody's middle name? Lynn. Okay. I'm going to say Jody Emmons. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Jody Emmons of Mystical Spirit Creations. And are those uh, uh, her little creations that she makes? Are those available on any website or anything? Yeah, they're Mystical Spirit Creations website.com. Okay. Uh, and she's also on Facebook, Mystical Spirit Creations. Okay. And, uh, and we're. The end of this month, we'll be at the uh, in Seaside, Oregon, at the uh, Oregon Ghost Conference. Oh, great! And that's a huge conference, folks. It's, uh, I mean, literally over a thousand people show up to that, and it's just a, a massive, massive, like-minded party on the oceanfront. Seaside, if you don't know, is where Lewis and Clark basically threw down their camping gear and said. We reached our goal, now let's head back. And so there's a lot of history in and around Astoria and Seaside. So I suggest getting your butt uh, out to Seaside for the Oregon Ghost Conference and look for Dave Emmons and Jody while you're there. Anyway, Dave, yeah. I appreciate your time. Yeah, it was good talking to you and uh, we'll nice. talk later. All right, thanks. All right, thank you, Dave, for joining us. And next I'm coming after your wife to get her on the show she's got quite a story as well and her ET discussion group may reap some benefits as far as future interviews we'll see what happens I know it's a pretty close-knit group and it's a non-disclosure kind of situation but if we can we'll we'll go there and talk in depth more about this ET discussion group and the members of it on or off the record if you would like to be on the show yourself or you have some suggestions guest ideas topics and such or if you'd like to just talk about anything regarding 
our previous subjects. I guess we could do that as well. We could open up the forum a little bit. Get a hold of me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com. You can go on Facebook, on Instagram, and look us up also at strangebrow.com. We have a live event coming up here on the 13th of April with painter and life after death experiencer Robert Kanaga. That's at the Axe and Fiddle in Cottage Grove, Oregon, 657 East Main Street. Robert will be live on stage starting around 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I'm going to try to stream this as well on the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page or maybe the Strange Brow Radio Instagram page. I'll make an announcement about that. But as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you to our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N at Etsy.com. You guys take care of yourself. We're in the middle of a flood watch here in the Willamette Valley, so I gotta go blow up a rubber raft and uh, throw all my belongings and run for the run for the hills. <laughs> I sure hope not. All right, we'll see you in the trees. <laughs> <laughs>